It's Tuesday, June 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Asit Sharma. Thanks for being here. Chris, thanks for having me. Really, really excited to be here to talk to you this morning. Well, we've got exciting topics like information data and a return to work stock, but we're going to start we're going to start on Wall Street because the story of the day is the big banks because after passing the latest stress tests from the Federal Reserve, most of the big banks decided to celebrate by raising their dividends. Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley all raising their dividends and those last two doubling their dividends. Citigroup is the only one of the big six to leave their dividend right where it is. Um, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, um, but when this has happened in the past, I don't recall it sort of happening in this one fell swoop like this, even uh, after the Great Recession. What, when you saw this news, what went through your mind? Yeah, it reminded me of a teacher saying, all right, class is out of session, and everyone <laughs> getting out, out of the classroom with great relief and, and celebrating a bit. They passed this big stress test. Um, they had some additional levels of capital requirements that were put on during the pandemic. Most of the big banks are signaling that they've been building these surpluses on their balance sheet since the Great Recession anyway, and they're sort of ready for class to be out. Enough of this testing business. Let's get on with life. And I think for these big banks, part of that equation is signaling to investors that we're attractive investments too. Don't forget about us. Hey, investors, you've been beaten up by some high growth stock names early this year. We're still here. We're, we're raising our dividends. Chris, I looked after that announcement, Morgan Stanley, you mentioned, doubled its dividend to $0.70 cents a share. That puts its dividend yield at 3%. That's a pretty attractive yield for a big bank and a solid bank at that. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I've never been so enamored of the big banks that I've thought about buying shares. But I think <laughs> no, right? particularly if you're looking at your portfolio and you're looking, for, you're looking to fill out sort of that dividend-paying section, um, as some investors are, I kind of think you have to look at this because uh, a lot of them aren't just raising their dividend, but they've also announced, you know, over the past month or two, various levels of share buyback programs. So it's, uh, it, I mean, it seems, it seems like a, a pretty serious move to, as you said, to sort of signal to investors like, no, we're, we're serious about this, and we're going to reward shareholders, um, not in huge growth stock ways. But we're going to methodically reward shareholders for doing this. Um, I am curious, though, when it just sort of more broadly outside of the big banks, when you're researching a stock, when you're th- when you're looking at a company and thinking about like I might want to buy shares of this, where does whether or not they pay a dividend fall on your list of things that you're looking at? Because I'm at a point in my life, even in my fifties, where it. The dividend part still isn't that high on the list for me. It's on there. I'm curious about it. And if they're paying a dividend, I want to know what their track record is. But at the moment, I've, I can't think of a time where I've bought a stock and what swung it from the watch list to the buy button was the fact that they were paying a dividend. Chris, there's going to come a time, maybe 20 years from now, 
when that'll be the first thing you go to. You'll be looking <laughs> at that <laughs> dividend yield and, and what it means to your portfolio. Uh, but like you, I am on the younger side of that equation, although it is in my consciousness. I will say I'm not quite as young as I used to be. Where it factors in is sort of a factor or a piece of data that tells me something about where that company is on its own trajectory. So often you're looking at a great cash flow generator, which is still in growth mode if you are not a dividend investor. That, so let's just say you don't even classify yourself. And, and, and maybe, Chris, you fall into this bucket. You, you love growth stocks. You don't have a certain investment style that you go to the wall with. So for you, yeah, a dividend yield, a, a, the, the fact that a company is even paying a dividend makes you just examine what type of growth stock it is. Maybe it's on the more mature side of things. And of course, there are some wonderful growth stocks that pay a dividend, so we shouldn't run away from that piece of data. Microsoft is, a, is an awesome example of that. So yes, for me, it is just one part of the puzzle at this point in my investing career. Although I will say I have three investing styles. I love growth stocks. I like a good value stock when no one else is looking and I won't make a fool out of myself. And I'm, I'm starting to build a uh, income stream for retirement. So I do have a few stocks in my portfolio that pay dividends. And just to bring it back to this conversation, why this is maybe interesting for those who are investors in big banks, we're looking at, for the first time in a while, a rising interest rate environment, which means, of course, these big um, banks can rely less on trading activities and maybe a little bit more on that traditional cycle of net interest income that is making the spread between uh, the money that you deposit and what they can turn that money around for in their own lending activities. And so this is something that might pull bank stocks in general a little bit back in favor. Combine that with these increased dividend yields. And as you mentioned, the share repurchases, they are making a reason uh, very evident for investors to take another look after several years of being a little bit out in the wilderness in the investment world. On the surface, it was a nice end to the fiscal year for Herman Miller. Fourth quarter profits and revenue came in solidly higher than expected. This is not one of those beat-by-a-penny type of quarters. But shares of Herman Miller are down 7% today due to guidance. Um, the drop that we're seeing in the stock seems reasonable to me because this stock is still up 70% over the past 12 months. It's basically where it was in January of 2020. And it seems like the market is saying what it often says, which is, well, that's nice, but what are you going to do in the next 6 to 12 months? Yes. And Herman Miller's problem is that it is still centered very much in the project business. And what I mean by that is this company, which is known for the iconic Herman Miller chair and high-end furniture, still makes the majority of its profits from office renovations and office furniture. It depends on bigger companies undertaking projects for new office space to grab the bulk of its orders, its forward orders, which is something that investors look very closely at in this industry. Orders actually look great. In the quarter just ended, they were up about 29%, but the backlog is down about 5%. The thing that Herman Miller is going to, I think, convince investors of over the longer haul is that they're able to 
to carry their fashion forward sense and their ergonomic sense in office furniture into these new avenues that they were investing in before the pandemic. So a greater emphasis on retail, which CEO Andy Owen has done a spectacular job of. She's increased the retail footprint of Herman Miller, the acquisitions from upscale brands like Hay Designs to this upcoming merger with another big name in the office furniture world, which is Knoll, K-N-O-L-L. These are things that I think Herman Miller will be able to capitalize on in the future. Just now, investors, absolutely, Chris, are saying, okay, we're going to take a break for a while and and see how maybe the next quarter pans out with this order flow. I should say, too, we shouldn't leave uh, out of this discussion how well the company is doing in its e-commerce. Those investments happened before COVID as well. Andy Owen, one of the first things that she did when she came in is to make sure that the e-commerce strategy would be robust. So we're seeing really great results out of that. So I think when you take this whole picture together, you've got a company which will look fairly different a year from today after the merger with Null and the time that it will take for them to realize further results from investments made pre-COVID But this morning, investors are looking at the uncertainty of the company's outlook, which was actually, I would say, pretty middling, Chris. Um, Just looking at the numbers, sales are expected um, to be between $640 million and $670 million in this next quarter. That's just growth of less than 5%, which is a little less than investors were looking for. FactSet Research Systems falling a bit today. Third quarter revenue for the financial software company came in higher than expected, but profits were on the light side, and guidance was kind of the same as Herman Miller's. Like it, it, it's like, it was fine. It didn't blow anyone away. Sure. Well, here you have another company run by a very capable CEO, unlike Andy Owen at Herman Miller, who just came in a few years ago. Phil Snow has been CEO since about 2015, and he started... Uh, his career with this company as a consultant, worked his way all the way up to the CEO position. And as a result of that, I think you have a CEO whose focus has been on very steady growth. They are a competitor to Bloomberg and other data services. And this is just what they delivered in this quarter. Chris, gap revenues were up about 7% to almost $400 million. Organic revenues uh, made up most of that. But margins were a little on the slim side. Part of this is because the company had a greater incentive uh, expense because its sales team delivered on some of the targets. You see this in the consumer goods world quite a lot, not as much as in the information technology world, but uh, because of those targets being hit, they had to pay out a little bit more in incentives hitting their bottom line by a, a few percentage points, nothing too major there. What I did like about today's release is that their annual subscription value uh, keeps growing. So think of this as locked-in value from uh, customers who are buying their data sets on a subscription basis. They continue to look more and more like a software-as-a-service company in that regard. Um, That organic ASV, if you will, is growing at a nice clip of near 6%. Um, But I think, too, the, the guidance going forward, while they they increased the amount of annual subscription value that they foresee. They didn't really change the outlook for the year very much. And I think investors wanted to see some momentum that FactSet wasn't able to provide. Again, overall, a really good picture for the long term. 
but maybe this is going to be for not just Herman Miller and fact set, but a, a show me, <laughs> show me a little bit more quarter. We're just getting into earnings season now. So uh, could be a recurring story with a lot of companies, Chris. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, on the plus side for fact set, they do a really good job of retaining their clients. I think their client retention is something like 90%. So, I mean, this is the type of business you know, <laughs> this is not a consumer business. This, this is a big ticket item. And when they make a sale, it's all the more important. You know, yes, there are switching costs. It's not to say they can't lose clients. They, they can and they will. Um, I'm sure it's the same for Bloomberg. But the fact that they're keeping 90% of their clients, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely, um, um, it, it speaks well of management that they're looking to sort of um, just continue to grow and deliver, because um, clearly that's been their track record to this point. Yeah, totally agree. And when you take their dollar version of that retention number, it's 95%. So they're losing just a little bit, um, but keeping most of their actual customers in terms of numbers, as you mentioned, 90% on a dollar basis. On average, customers are spending a little bit more when you take these two numbers together. So these statistics show that it is holding on to all that market share it's been able to grab, not just from Bloomberg, but from smaller companies that are offering more specific data sets. They're seeing an increase in uh, demand for analytics, which I think is going to only be good for them as you look beyond the next two to three years. The ability to provide investment houses, private family offices, and institutions that aren't necessarily uh, trying to invest in stocks but need the same data sets for other purposes. Also adding in their layer of uh, indexing, so data sets which are good for people who follow, say, the ETF industry. All this together, again, bodes well for a company whose hallmark is sort of the solid, steady I won't say boring growth because I think they would disagree with me. I think in this industry, you know, mid-single-digit mid growth <laughs> ain't bad. So all in all, a, a solid report. And in fact, I should say for the last couple of quarters, I believe that's the term that management has used in its press release, that FactSet delivered a solid quarter. So I'm, I'm going to second that. It was a solid quarter. <laughs> Yeah, the growth isn't boring. The business is boring. It's, I mean, just on the surface, this is, this is not an exciting business. But you look at the growth chart of this company, and yeah, that's, that's the thing that you got to like if you're an investor. I, I think hordes of data scientists, data analysts, numbers guys, uh, and I should say number people, numbers gals, I think they're looking up from their desks this morning after hearing this podcast, and they want to argue with us, Chris, because <laughs> to them, this stuff is really interesting, and I, I absolutely I see that from their perspective. <laughs> and that's you know what, and that's great that there are people who get excited about this because they're the people who help create businesses like this. For sure, you you need people like this. <laughs> you do, <So>. you do. <laughs> Asa Sharma, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks as always, Chris. A lot of fun. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>